I obviously did not get the um, memo from the praise team regarding Christmas sweaters. But, um, you know, this is Christmas, and Christmas is the time of giving and being in the spirit of giving. I gave both Courtney and Chriselle my cold. So I really do appreciate um, what the praise team did this morning because they, this, is, this is new. Uh, they came up with this this morning, so well done, praise team. Yes, please clap. <laughs> Pastor Bruno is in our, will be leaving uh, for Pennsylvania, taking a week off to enjoy the holidays with his family. Uh, next week he will be here, but... Uh, we are really excited and privileged to have Chaplain James Schaefer, who will be giving the message next week. And I've had a sneak preview of his PowerPoint, and you want to be here for that. So, uh, James, thank you, and looking forward to hearing the good colonel uh, next week. Uh, for those of you who know me, or at least who know me well, um, you know that I love most everything about Christmas. I do. I, I, I love the Christmas music. I've been listening to Christmas music since the middle of October, and I'm not tired of it yet, right? Um, I love the, the Christmas decorations. I like to decorate. I like to look at decorations. Uh, when I was a young boy, my parents would take um, my brothers and I into New York City to look at the, the big the stores and just the magnificence of New York City at Christmas time. I love the the gatherings, the fellowships, the food, the cookies. I, I love the smells of, of Christmas. I am not a movie person, but I actually enjoy Hallmark Christmas movies, which is funny because my wife loves movies and she hates the Hallmark Christmas movies. Go figure, right? And even Friday night, I, I love our candlelight Christmas Eve service. But most of all, I love the true meaning because we can celebrate the birth of our Redeemer. I also know Christmas can be a difficult time for many. And even after Christmas can be difficult. Let's face it, we've been eating bad foods since Thanksgiving, right? I mean, some of us are looking to go on a diet or maybe start an exercise program. I belong to the Southern Maryland Athletic Club in Charlotte Hall, and I can tell you January and February, the gym will be packed. Not so much in March, right? Uh, some of you, um, you know, are going to make your New Year's resolution. Some of you need to figure out a way to pay for Christmas. So sometimes after Christmas can be difficult. For me personally, it's very difficult. I actually get the Christmas blues. I mean, seriously, it, it, it's a really difficult season for me. It's just not a good time. Christmas is over. Winter is starting. You've got to take down the decorations. It's so much more fun to put them up, to put them up than to take them down. Um, I've gotten really blue over the last couple of years. And, you know, the Holy Spirit's been, been convicting me. Why? You just celebrate it. One of the greatest moments in the history of mankind the birth of a redeemer. Why? Why are you blue? C.S. Lewis wrote, the central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. So Christmas should ignite us with a passion for the Lord. We should enter into the new season with a little giddy-up 
and our steps. We should be joyful. We should be happy. But you know what? <clears throat> and for me, <clears throat> excuse me, the older I get, I understand my sin nature. I understand more the depravity of sin, and I understand the depravity of my own sin, which makes the significance of this celebration more important. In my last house, over the mantle and fireplace, we had huge letters, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? You all know that verse. For by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. The Holy Spirit has convicted me recently that because of this incredible price that Jesus Christ paid for us, why are you blue? Why are you down? I know who Jesus is. I know my walk with Jesus. I should be happy. I should be excited. And I am, because this message has convicted me. In the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul was writing to a young church in Colossae that had a lot of confusion over what it meant to follow Jesus. And as Paul was known to do, he set the record straight. And I love that about Paul. Paul told these believers that Jesus is preeminent. And he said, Jesus comes first. See, Jesus can't be a part of your life. Jesus is your life. Jesus has to be your life. This morning, I'm going to quickly look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, just six verses, 15 through 20. And I will not do justice, but I'm going to tell you what I want to do. I'm going to share this up front. This is my objective this morning. This is my goal. I'm going to share the application right now. I want us to leave here this morning either igniting or reigniting a passion for Christ. This is my goal for today. Let me pray real quick. Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege of standing up here this morning. I thank you for those who are here, but most of all, I thank you for who you are. You are an amazing God. Father, may I handle the scriptures accurately. May what I say this morning truly resonate in the hearts of your people. And may we walk out of here um, transformed, being more passionate for you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read uh, Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 20. I'll have it here. Um, or you can follow it in your Bibles. Uh, I'll be reading from the ESV. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So this morning, I want to look at six specific characteristics of Christ through these passages. 
Thank you. And the first characteristic I want to share is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that we can get to know God through him. Now, I think the most important question anyone can ask is simply this. Who is Jesus Christ? And folks, a lot is writing on the answer to that question. I mean, Jesus himself, when he, when he walked on this earth, turned to, his, turned to his disciples one day and asked that question, who do you say I am? And we know the answer, because Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, when Paul was writing this letter, the church in Colossae and all the other churches, quite frankly, they were coming um, under attack with a lot of really bad teaching, false teaching. There's a lot of false teaching going on. And one of the beliefs was that Jesus was not God, but he himself was a created being. And let me tell you something, folks, about false teaching. It doesn't matter if it, was, if it happened 2,000 years ago or if, it happened, or if it's happening today. The enemy, and we have a great enemy, if he's going to be successful, right, he is going to undermine the foundation. The foundation is critical. And what is our foundation? We know the foundation is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. If you are a builder and you know that if your foundation isn't sound, your house is not going to hold up. My wife and I know this very, very well because we recently built a house where we had to completely redo the foundation. When they dug up the hole, it filled with water. And $50,000 later... You know, they have to put a totally different foundation in. But I guarantee you, that house is not falling down because the foundation is sound. Paul writes in verse 15, the sun is the image of the invisible God. And you know, the Greek word for, for image is like be-like or, or, or a mirror-like representation, a, a, a perfect copy, uh, so to speak. Because Jesus, right, is the visible image of the invisible God. We just read, I just read in verse 19 a moment ago. It says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And the author of Hebrews said, he is the radiance, he being Jesus, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When his disciples wanted to see God, Jesus answered them in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And who better to tackle the complexities of theology than a child who once said, a child once said, Jesus is God with skin on, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's who Jesus is. Do you really want to know God? Do you really want to know who God is? Then you know what? You need to get to know the Jesus of the Bible. You need to read the Gospels, especially Mark. See what he cared about. See how he looked after children. See how he healed the sick. And when you truly know Jesus, when you truly know Jesus, then you can see the heart of the Father. Number two, he is the firstborn of all creation. The last part of verse 15 describes Christ as the firstborn over all creation. Now, the first. The word firstborn here doesn't mean that Jesus was created. No, right? He is God. That was the first point that I made. God creates, right? And everything else is creation. But Jesus, God in the flesh, is highest overall. 
Firstborn is referred to as a place of honor more than an order of birth. For example, Israel as a nation in the Old Testament, it's called firstborn, uh, as is King David. Yet neither was born first. King David was actually the youngest in his family. But but folks, Israel and King David uh, were called firstborn because of their position and rank in God. They were exalted and given uh, rights and privileges that the firstborn would get. The first tells us that Jesus is the chief, the master, and head of all creation, and rightfully so, because he created it. And verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones of dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The voice of creation is the voice of Jesus. As the Son of God, in the flesh, he's always been in coexistence with God. And we call this Old Testament pre-birth experiences the pre-incarnate God, the pre-incarnate Christ. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's kind of cool when you really think about it. I mean, who do you think walked in the coolness with Adam and Eve in the garden? Or, or, or who was that fourth fellow in the fiery furnace with Daniel and his three friends? I personally believe it was the pre-incarnate Christ. But here's my point. Here's my point. If Jesus is over all creation, that means nothing's too big for him. Nothing's too small for him. Nothing. You can trust your issues. You can trust your problems to Jesus. Because look, he created it all. He can handle all of it. All creation is his, and he can handle all of our problems. He knows our issues. Trust it to him. Which leads me to my third point. He holds all things together. 17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Stanford University is the site of the linear accelerator a mighty two-mile-long atom smasher. It is a great lever with which scientists try to pry the lid off of the secrets of matter and discover what's in the miniature world of the atom, the neutron, and the proton. Linear accelerator scientists have discovered a, a complexity they've never dreamed of, and they've found particles that they cannot even invent enough names for. But this is so cool right here. But one thing they are consistently discovering is that there's some strange force that holds everything together. And they don't know what to call it. They don't even know how to identify it. They talk about some type of cosmic glue that holds everything together. And they're correct. There is a cosmic glue. It's called Jesus, right? I mean, they're right. Jesus sustains the universe by his powerful hand. This should give us comfort. This should give us comfort. We look at the world today, you know what? Relax. Jesus holds all things together. It's going to be okay. I tell folks all the time, we win the war, (laughs) okay? We win the war. Number four, he is the head of the body, the church. Paul's favorite allegory 
for the church is the human body. He, he uses it quite a bit in his writings. The point is that Jesus is the head of the church. He's in charge, although sometimes we like to think that we are. Yes, he uses people. I get that, but Jesus is in charge. I am sure some of you, at one time or the other, have been in a church where Jesus was at the head. I grew up in a church where Jesus truly wasn't the head of the church. And I believe, and those, those churches are always dysfunctional, sick, and unhealthy. I mean, what comes to mind when you hear um, the phrase, head of the church? Some may think of the Pope in Rome. Some may think of a very influential pastor or uh, a strong elder board. Um, others may think of a denominational headquarters, you know, somewhere in a distant city. However, folks, the New Testament writers are very clear. They teach that Jesus Christ is the only head of the church, and they tie that claim to the fact of Jesus' exaltation in his resurrection, ascension, and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Having raised Jesus from the dead, the Father seated his Son at his right hand and put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church. That's Ephesians 1.22. And since Christ is the head of the, true, of the church, the true church, then we can have confidence that we can commit our church to Christ. Because it's really not our church. And you know what? I think that's a good thing. And I think that's what we have to do, is trust our church, give our church to Christ. He will bless it, and he will bring growth however he wants it. Next point. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The Bible calls Jesus, the second Adam. We know about the first Adam, right? He led the human race towards destruction. Well done, Adam. <laughs> the second Adam, Jesus, lived without sin and led the human race towards redemption. Praise God, Jesus, right? Jesus lived without sin, right? And because of that, we are redeemed. And we know through Scripture, we know through Scripture, and we also know through historians, right, that, that, that Jesus died a physical death, yet his, yet his spirit lived on. God raised him from the dead and gave him a resurrection body. We know that he walked around earth for about 40 days, uh, showing up here and there. Sometimes he was recognizable. Sometimes he wasn't. Um, he ate fish. So we, we know that Jesus really wasn't a ghost. Then he departed for heaven, his permanent home. And you know what? We can trust that because we can trust that through the scriptures. We can trust that because of historians wrote about that. We can trust this because of archaeology. We can trust this because of creation. We can trust this because of science. By the way, science is our friend. We can trust him for eternal life forever. And finally, number six, we I could be right with God through Jesus because he was the payment for our sins. Verses 19 and 20 says, for in him 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. One of my favorite authors and pastors is Tim Keller. Not because he's from New York, but just because I just really like this guy. And he wrote, and this quote really stopped me in my tracks. He wrote, our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. When I read that, I just stopped. And um, I stopped for a while. What is your identity in Christ? I mean, what is your identity? Is it Christ? One of the um, weird things that I like to do is I actually enjoy reading obituaries. I do, especially long obituaries. I just, I read and I, I, I try to get to know the person. I, I, just, I just do it. And as I'm reading the obituary, I'm trying to think of, you know, who this person was. And often, you know, you read, hey, they were, you know, they love their family, great thing. You know, they, they love the local football team. They used to love the crab or they, you know, it's just a, a laundry list of things they love to do. And that's all f- wonderful. But very rarely have I read an obituary where Christ is first. Christ is first. I love my family. <laughs> I so love my family. You all know me. You know the things I, I, I love. You know, I, I love to play golf. I unfortunately love the New York Giants. But I pray to God at my funeral, you don't talk about those things. I pray to God you talk about my love for Christ. My identity is in Christ. My identity is not in the New York Giants, thank God. My identity is not in playing golf, thank God. And I love my family. My identity is in Christ. Where's your identity? It has to be in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I hope this morning you see that Jesus just cannot be just a part of your life. He has to be your life. He has to be your life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the very essence of God in the flesh, he's God. And we could be right through him. And that's a cool thing. As I said earlier, my purpose today is, can we walk out of here maybe igniting or reigniting our passion for Christ? I came across... Um, an article on the internet that says 20 effective ways to have more passion for Christ. All right, this is written by a uh, Cyril Abello. Don't know who he is, but I read it and I really like it. And, and, and you know what? This stuff is not going to blow you away, but they're solid. They're fundamentals. As I started reading some of these things, it kind of changed my outlook. And you know what? I, you know, I was getting, now I'm getting that giddy up in, in, in my steps because uh, th- this is good. And I'm, I'm going to share these things. It's like a copy of, these, uh, of this list. Just email me. I, I 
be happy to send it to you. I want to go through these 20, um, and then I'm going to give you a Christmas present and let you go home early, all right? Um, But I want to go through the 20 pretty quickly. Number one, effective way to have more passion for God. Number one, remember God's grace in your life. Nothing can ignite your passion for God more than a realization of his grace. Folks, we are sinners, yet he saved us and we can have and spend eternity with him through his grace. That is amazing. That's amazing. Matter of fact, I could, prob- I could probably stop right here. It's just so powerful, but I won't. Number two, maybe you need to repent from your sins. Or maybe there's a habitual sin in your life. Ask God to help you overcome that sin. Remember, repentance is not measured by how much you cry, but by the transformation of your character. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you deal if, there's an, if, you, have, if you have an issue in your life. Number three, maybe you need to recommit yourself to the Lord this year. Maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years and uh, you know, the pa- you've lost some passion along the way. Passion is it's just so important. One of my heroes of the faith, one of my mentors in my life is Dr. Jerry Small. 20 years ago, when I started to work on staff, he stopped by the farmhouse and just made this comment to me that really changed my life. He said, Dennis, just let you know something, that I always prayed for passion in everything that I did, whether it's writing my sermon, whether it's counseling or just speaking to people. I always prayed for passion. I try to do that. I, I, I fail more often than not, but I, I, I've always loved that counsel is just praying for passion. And you know what, folks? I love passionate people. I love passionate people. Number four, this is not going to surprise you, but establish an active prayer life. Come January, we're going to kick off a three-week prayer emphasis. And I'm excited about it. But regardless, we all pray. I know everyone here prays. But we need to establish an active prayer life. I know that I can pray more. If you do that, you know the next one, right? Read your Bible daily. Maybe even keep a journal. Now, I do journal but I'm going to be transparent once again. I'm very inconsistent with my journaling. I will go three months writing, then I'll skip a month and, you know, get back at it. And it's cool when you journal because you can go back and see what God is showing you. And it helps you to remember as you get older the things you're reading if you write down a a few things. But folks, we have to be fed daily, right? We have to be in the word of God. That will change your passion for the Lord. Number six, create a, uh, a gratitude journal and just write down the blessings that you receive. Uh, two years ago, my wife and I started to uh, pray together, something we really had never done consistently. Uh, so we do try to pray every morning. We probably do this four or five days a week. And one of the things we just automatically do is we do thank the Lord for his many, many blessings. It's so easy to get caught up with what's happening in the world. But if you stop and think for a moment, God, 
has blessed us. I know he's blessing you. Take a moment and thank him for those incredible blessings. Number seven, this, this, is, this is, I never really thought about doing this. This is appreciate the life God has given you. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Thank the Lord for how he made you. Number eight, and this may sound very self-serving, but regularly attend church activities. Preaching to the choir here. You're here. Day after Christmas. Thank you. Uh, we need to be together. We're better together. I know all about COVID. I get it. We have to be careful. But you know what? We have to be together. Whether that's worshiping together, whether that's doing life groups together, or just hanging out. Uh, we just need to, you know, do things together. And yes, we're going to work on doing, having more church activities in 2022 so we can be together. Number nine, join a Bible study or a life group, right? And I know we don't have a lot of Bible studies on Sunday morning. We need to change that. And hopefully as we deal with COVID, we'll start doing it because we have to learn to live with COVID. Number 10, use your talents and spiritual gifts in the ministry. I have found when I use my spiritual gifts, I'm happiest. And my spiritual gift is service. And I've been stretched over the years and I enjoy doing ministry. One of my favorite ministries, and I need to be careful because Ken Barker is here, was cutting grass. My first year, I came up here every Wednesday evening. I would cut the grass. Instant gratification. Loved it. Loved it. All right? But whatever it is, all right, use your gifts. Use your God-given abilities. We live in the internet age. Listen to other sermons. I grow uh, listening to other pastors teach and preach. Um, well, I'm a runner, as you know. I, I never run with head. Well, I very rarely run with headphones on outside, but if I run on a treadmill, I always wear headphones. I listen to music. I listen to a podcast. It's exciting. It's great, and it's wonderful to hear other men of God um, teach. I don't do number 12, but I'm going to just throw this out to you. Sing worship songs to God in your private moments. I've never done that. My wife would think I'm dying or something if I did it. But maybe that will increase your passion for the Lord. You know, if you, you know maybe Michelle does that. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. Next one. Surround yourself with Christian friends. Folks, this is so important. Now, look, I'm not saying we have to reach the lost, okay? I'm not suggesting we don't associate with unbelievers, but we need to be together. Again, we're better together. It's just so important. I, I, I'm a life group guy. Even during COVID, my life group was just so important. And yes, there was a season we did not meet, but we would Zoom. It's just so important to be around other believers. Uh, it just, it, it encourages us. It, it's good. Maybe um. Serve and help people. Serve more. Uh, early December, our youth group went to the um, uh, food kitchen and, and, and spent the evening helping them. And from what, from what I heard, they really, really enjoyed that. It's something, you know, it's fun when we serve people. I know <clears throat> when uh, Ken Bark would have the work day up here, it's a lot of fun. It's just fun being around people and, and, and using your gifts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe we need to attend a conference or a retreat. 
right? I know it's COVID, I, I get it, but my wife and I, we try every three years to attend a, a marriage conference, uh, a weekend to remember. It's just fun to get away. It's fun to be around other Christians. It's fun to learn. It just helps you grow in your walk. Maybe enroll in a leadership class at Grace. Well, guess what? We don't have any right now, but it is one of Pastor Bruno's um, goals to have leadership classes here. And he's really um, excited about this, and I believe it will happen very, very soon. Strive to apply God's word in your life, right? right James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, right? Just can't be hearers, be doers. When you're doing God's word, you're gonna have passion. All right, you ready for number 18? Mm. Forgive and be at peace with people. Forgive and be at peace with people. One of the passion killers in, in, in Christians is unforgiveness. You cannot fully enjoy God's presence if you have bitterness or even hatred against someone. And all the counseling that I have done, when you start to peel back the onion and get to the root cause, it's usually unforgiveness. Folks, Christ forgave us. We must forgive. And number 19 is my favorite. Share the gospel with people who do not know God. When I came to this church in the 90s, uh, I remember going through a, a course they had called Your Home, a Lighthouse. For those of you who have been here, I'm dating myself. And this gentleman, his name was Bob Jacks, would have these evangelistic Bible studies in his neighborhood in Connecticut of all places. And Bob would say, I just wanted to share one, one truth every time he met. He just loved sharing his faith. And Bob Jack said this, and I so agree with Bob. He says, the happiest people in church are those sharing their faith. You want a passion for the Lord? Share your faith. And finally, maybe this new year, we need to dedicate our lives to the living for living for Christ. Just truly dedicate our lives for Christ. Maybe we need to surrender ourselves and just really decide to live for him daily. You know, we have this statement up here, <laughs> to live and to love like Jesus and help others to do the same. That's our mission statement. It's simple. It's a great commission. It's our mission statement. That's who we are. And our vision is simply this, to reach the world for Jesus Christ from Waldorf. I am not trying to make light of COVID. I'm not. But maybe it's time that we stop playing defense and go on the offense. Okay? Maybe it's time we start reaching people, folks. Maybe it's time we start reaching our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, you know, by living and loving like Jesus. You want to grow the church? Let's invite somebody. Let's share our faith. I remember in the 90s, I've been here for a long time. I've loved every season. But there was a season where we really pushed evangelism. Almost every week, we were just, you know, somebody was coming to the Lord. It was so much fun. It was exciting 
you know? But we have to do it. And, and we, as the leadership team, we need to help you do it. And this is something I really want to emphasize with the leadership team, all right? We need to share our faith. We need to go on the offense. We need to reach people. I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. He may come back soon. But whether he comes back today or next year or 100 years from now, we still need to reach people, people for Jesus. Amen? Amen? This is what we need to do. All right. My Christmas present to you is I'm going to close in prayer. Get, get out of here early today. Our Father in heaven, Thank you so much for who you are. And Father, I thank you for this church. And I pray, Lord, as we walk out of here this morning, we'd walk out of here uh, with a, a renewed passion for you. Father, may people look at us and truly see Jesus. May we have a passion to proclaim your gospel. Lord, may, may people say, why are you different? Oh, Lord, I pray this for this year and the new year that you would just bless this church, that our, our, our light would, would brine shightly. Help us, Lord, to reach our community. Help us, Lord, to be proactive. Help us, Lord, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd finish this message in our hearts. And as always, Father, I pray that you'll be glorified in all that we do. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.